starting a new series. We're going to go through the Torah, starting with the book of Genesis, and starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So Genesis from the very beginning, creation or evolution, right? That's important to know where we're going to stand and whether or not this is a valid, accurate statement or not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because if that's not accurate, there's no sense going on to verse 2. There's no sense going on to anything else. It all is else otherwise meaningless. If, if God's not accurate in the beginning, if he's not accurate with the very first words that, uh, that he impressed Moses to write, then, then none of it really matters. So now when it says in the beginning, we have to realize that the Bible is not the history of God. Right? So this is not in the beginning of God. Right? God was a law around a whole lot longer than than the Bible. Um, and it's just the in the beginning of our heavens and our earth. So the, the Bible is really just the history of God's interaction with humanity here on this earth. That's basically what it is. A few verses, not even probably full chapters, hardly uh, outside of that. But most of it is God's interaction. It's not even God's interaction with all of humanity. There's lots of groups of humanity that uh, lived and are not mentioned in the Bible. There's really just God's interaction with those who were interacting with him. Where the Bible was being written, where the Bible was being shared, where the Bible was being taught, where the Bible was being lived out. That is really what the Bible is about. It's that history of those people, regardless of where they lived at what time. So when Daniel was in Babylon, <laughs> and that's where it was being taught, the Word of God was being taught, that's where the, the Bible history takes us, and so on throughout it. And the same with prophecy. It has to do with where God is interacting with people, and people's hearts are open and receptive to him. So this is in the beginning that God created our heavens and our earth. So how old is that? Well, we jump to verse 2. The earth was without form and void. So the earth was here, without form and void, before God began to create life on it. Right? So if you have a, uh, a clump of clay, and you make a couple dreidels out of your clay, and, uh, and let's say you did that last year, and someone sees those dreidels and goes, oh, those are nice dreidels. You say, oh, yeah, they're a year old. I made them a year ago. And I made them last year. Now, you might have had that clay sitting in your craft drawer for five years prior to that. They might have been sitting on a shelf for another 10 years in some craft store before that. And maybe in some warehouse before that and buried in some earth somewhere for much longer than that. But as far as your clay dreidels, they're a year old. Right? And so the rocks were here, the earth was here long before the in the beginning God created the heavens and earth with living creatures on it. So if they want to test how old a rock is, that's fine. That rock could be really old. That doesn't mean that life is really that old. And the whole carbon dating thing has some interesting uh, aspects to it. Uh, you know, like, have you ever, how many have been in a cave, right? And we go on a tour, and they tell you, this is a stalactite. It's holding tight to the ceiling, and this is a stalagmite, right, out of the ground. Well, here's a boy standing next to a stalactite and a stalagmite that met, made a column, and happens to be in the basement of a building that, when the picture was taken, was 40 years old. So when you go into the cave, oh, this took millions and millions and millions of years. Don't touch it, you'll affect you know, evolution of stuff. It doesn't have to take that long. And in the middle there's a picture of, of some stalactites hanging from the basement of a ceiling. And I've been in basements where I've seen stalactites forming uh, because of some leak of something and then some uh, calcium uh, forming there. And then on the top uh, right you see a, a picture of a bottle with a rock growing <laughs> formed around it. Now, the bottle was from the ship, the HMS Birkenhead, which sank in 1852. So either that bottle is billions of years old, <laughs> or rocks can form rapidly in short periods of time. 
And in the whole carbon dating thing, there's several aspects to it that, uh, that make it not an exact science. For example, rocks are porous. So they have things being leached into them and things being leached out of them all the time. So it's hard to figure out a date of something when it is not a closed um, uh, ex you know, example that it's able to be you know, tested just on what is in it today because other stuff might have been added into it over its life and a bunch of stuff had been leaking out of it all through its life. So it's not an exact science, just the carbon dating itself or the age or how quickly things are formed and, and how, um, how old the Earth is just based on those things. But again, then the Earth has been around a long time anyway. So when we look at creation or evolution, our basic two choices, we have the creation, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or we have the Big Bang. Yeah. Now with the Big Bang, we gotta ask the big question of what banged? Yeah. <laughs> and where did that thing come from that banged? Yes. Right? Whatever that was, whatever that big clump of whatever it was, and that clump must have had to have everything that is on earth, as far as our, every element that we have, every type of rock that we have, and not only here, but in our entire solar system and really the entire universe, if it all came out of that one cluster, it had to have all that in that to spread it out. Well, where did all those things come from to begin with? So we either have to believe they were just miraculously there or were always there, or that God was just always miraculously there. Either way, it takes a step of faith. And that those things just came about by nothing is one thing to say, that God just was always there. The Bible doesn't tell us more about that. God, again, it's not the history of God. And maybe in eternity, he will explain more of that to us. But as far as the Big Bang and this stuff that banged, there would be a lot of elements there that each one of them would have had a spontaneously appeared and all clumped together. Now what we know about gravity, stuff clumped together likes to stay together. So if it banged, what caused it to bang? <laughs> you need now to have a force in order to create a bang. Things don't just bang on their own, right? You can have a stick of dynamite, it can sit there forever, and it's not going to bang on its own unless there's some outside force that causes it to bang. And so where did that force come from? And what ignited that force? What set off that force? There would have to be something that would do that. And where did it come from? How did it come? And why didn't it bang before then? Why hasn't it banged since then? There's a lot of questions that begin to happen. And now if you had something that banged, right, a grenade or whatever, things will leave that central location in a linear format. But we don't see things moving at a set pace. We don't see things in the universe separating in an equal way. And a lot of things are spinning. Right? The Earth is spinning, the Moon is spinning, right? everything is going around in circular ways. And so what the so-called scientists will say, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not even much of a theologian, I, I just have, uh, I have a, uh, a case called uh, CS. Just common sense, that's it, just common sense. Right, that's it. So let's just look at this from some common sense questions. So they will say, the so-called scientists will say, well, because everything is spinning, because that mass that was there in the beginning was spinning. And since it was spinning, that when it banged, everything that moved away from it is in this spinning rotation. Okay, well that's fine. What caused it to spin? Right? If you have a, a dreidel laying there, or a top, or whatever, or a ball, it's not going to just spin on its own. There needs to be some force to cause it to spin. What was the force that began that spinning rotation to begin with? And what kept it spinning? 
And even if that was the case, now again, you're needing a lot of faith, a whole lot more faith than just in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. All these different things to take place. And so evolutionists have much more faith than I do, that's for sure. Or they just don't think about it. But for it to spin, then, if everything else then came out of that spinning, everything would have to be spinning in the same direction. Oddly enough, not everything in the universe is spinning in the same direction. There are some of the planets in our solar system that don't spin in the same direction that the Earth spins. There are some planets that have moons, with some of them spinning one way and other of them spinning the other way. So how could that happen? If it all just came from one explosion that was a spinning mass, it doesn't meet scientific logic to be able to do those things. Now, if you were walking down the beach and you saw a cell phone there and you heard it making some noise and vibrating a little bit and you picked it up and there was a text appearing on it all the way from the other side of the earth. So it was on, it came on, it lit up, and the text appeared right as you were holding it from somewhere all the way on the other side of the earth. So this thing is alive in a sense, it's active, it's communicating with some other phone somewhere else. What would you automatically assume about that cell phone? That it created itself out of the muck of the sea. <laughs> Isn't this an amazing thing that just came out of the sea with all these little working organisms on it, with this glass face and this plastic back and these, all these little gizmos inside and all these little wires and, and uh, hard whatever thing in there, uh, all working together and battery and it's all operating and active and, and moving and able to communicate with other things that came out of the sea somewhere else in the world. Isn't that what you would assume? If you have a lot of faith, <laughs> that is what you would assume. And that is what it takes to assume that life came out of the sea. But any intelligent person would see a cell phone and say, yeah, someone was here before. Someone left the cell phone here just a few minutes ago. The battery's not even dead yet because something had to have created that. Something had to design that. Something had to make that with all the different elements in it. And a cell phone, as complex as it is to my mind, I don't know how to make one or I get it to communicate all the way over other parts of the earth. Even that, though, is such a simple mechanism, such a simple tool, such a simple invention compared with a simple single cell organism, which is more complex than all of New York City with its subways and its high rails and its tunnels and its roadways and its signs and its buildings and its elevators and its electric grid and its uh, cable grid and everything that's taking place, and all the people interacting and moving around on it. A single, uh, your body is filled with those, millions of them. And more complex than a big city today. Darwin himself didn't believe in his own theory, really. If you read in the book, uh, Origin of the Species, by means of natural selection. We'll get into this natural selection in a little bit. That's a fuller title. And it goes on and says, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. That's the full name of the book. <laughs> the title is almost longer than the book, right? It's a pretty long title. It tells us a lot. It's not just really about the origin of species, although that's the name they like to shorten it down to. But it has to do with means of natural selection, that the weaker ones are falling away and the more dominant ones are succeeding and surviving. Kind of like, anyone ever play Monopoly? How many people win at the end? Only one. <laughs> so there really only should be one species, the dominant species, the best species, if it's really just about natural selection. But we see such a wide variety of species, which 
can't be accounted for with just natural selection, or the preservation of favored races. He was a racist. What about which race is the best race, the supreme race, in the struggle for life? So anyway, he says here, one of the places he says, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. You couldn't have a cell phone that had a purpose, that had a natural selection, that was for life, that if it couldn't survive incremental, small, little, evolve, evolving, to be able to function, then his whole entire theory would absolutely break down. And it does. Because the cell phone would not create itself by small incremental steps. Here's an example, uh, a man uh, named Michael Behe used this illustration of a mousetrap. A mousetrap, pretty simple, only about six parts to it. And as simple as this is, a whole lot simpler than a cell phone, a whole lot simpler than a single cell organism, but even as simple as this is, the parts can't function by themselves, right? So you need a, a, a base, whether a block of wood in this example, a few staples to hold the parts together. You need a, a killer, a snapper, whatever, a banger to bang the rat in the head. And you need something to hold that, to snap it, a spring, to set it off, to get it to snap and snap hard enough to work. And you need something to hold it in place waiting for it to trigger, and then you need the trap. Here, this yellow piece where you smear the peanut butter to entice the rat to come and to chew on it and to set the trigger, to release the hammer, the spring to set it, and to crack its head. That's how it works. But if you had, didn't have all those pieces together, if you just had a block of wood there, you would not kill any rats. If you had staples and wood, but didn't have any of the other parts, you still would not. So there'd be no purpose for a block of wood to evolve in order to kill rats, waiting that maybe another millennial from now, some staples will come along in the right spots to hold my pieces in place. Right? Even if you had all the six pieces, but they weren't in the right spots, exactly the right spots, it won't work. Everything, even for this simple thing, so it couldn't evolve by simple incremental steps and still have a purpose, still be a surviving of the fittest, because a block of wood is useless in and of itself for killing rats or the trap or the spring or, or any of the things without all the others working together. And so that just proves the whole theory right there, according to Darwin himself. It absolutely falls apart because it won't evolve in small incremental steps until it's able to actually function. There'd be no reason for it to do so. Another thing that he said, now this is the, uh, the, uh, the modern Jeff dumbed down version where you see the, the I, that I can't pronounce all the words. I, I'm do good with, I do pretty good with single syllable words. Beyond that, I'm gonna do so good. So I'll just do the best I can. To suppose that the I, with all its intimate, con uh, unique parts, <laughs> with all its unique parts, for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. For an eye, and eyes are very complex. Just the eye. But not the most complex things that we have in the universe or even in the body. But he says the eye, for it to be able to one step at a time evolve. That's absurd. 
according to Chuck himself. That is absurd to the highest possible degree. How much more than anything else? And so his whole theory absolutely breaks down as we just look at just the eye and so many other things. Again, it takes a lot of faith to believe that an eye would just evolve all on its own, one piece at a time, with no purpose at all, until it finally got to the point of being an eye. There wouldn't be a purpose for that, unless if it doesn't mean natural selection for a little piece to evolve one piece at a time and come together without a plan in place of what the end game would be to be able to recognize and see things. So which came first? That's a big question as well in the whole ball of wax. The ability to see or color. Why would some organism even think to create an eye if there's nothing to see? If it doesn't know that there's something else to see, and why would I be able to see in color if things are not in color? And how would an eye know, or an amoeba or whatever, that would ever form the first eye? How would it know that there are colors out there that I need to be able to form eye, uh, uh, the ability to see colors? And the portion of the brain that interprets what the eye is seeing, to be able to interpret colors if there are no colors. But why would there be colors if there's no eyes? Why would plants evolve with different colors if there's no mammals with eyes yet? There'd be no purpose to do so. It wouldn't meet natural selection for the perseverance of the species to have flowers of different colors if there's no eyes to be able to see them and differentiate. There'd be no benefit to it. So they wouldn't do it under the theory, and the eye would not form. Or the same, the ability to taste, or various tastes. Why would different fruit trees produce different flavors if there's nothing to eat them, if there's nothing to taste them, if there's nothing to enjoy them? And why would a tongue develop different taste buds? To be able to differentiate between different tastes if there aren't different tastes. And two totally different organisms, plants and mammals working together. The tongue on a mammal enjoying what the plant put out. Which came first? Which decided to create that first? Which decided to make that first, the taste or the taste bud? And the part of the brain to interpret those tastes and to enjoy those tastes. Or the ability to hear sound or make sound. Which came first? The vocal cord or the ear? There'd be no purpose to a vocal cord if there are no ears. <laughs> and there's no purpose to ears if there are no vocal cords. <laughs> and to be able to interpret that, what does it mean that that lion is roaring? <laughs> right? So there had to be a brain to interpret these sounds or the sounds of its own species one to another. So not only does a vocal cord have to miraculously appear, but at the same exact time, an ear has to appear in some other organism at the same exact time. That's not simple mutations. At some organism that doesn't have a vocal cord and doesn't have an ear, to then give birth to something that both has a vocal cord and an ear at the same time, and a brain to both hear sound and make sound. That's complex. That's huge complexity in our choices. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or chance, random chance. If I was an evolutionist, I'd play the lottery every day. <laughs> because I would believe in random chances taking place all the time. <laughs> I would have tremendous faith in chance. And it would take more faith and more chance and more improbability for ears and vocal cords to all of a sudden appear out of nowhere at the same time than for any gambling win.
So some other symbiotic relationships, like between the vocal cord and the ear, you have H2O. Where did the O come from? And where did the H come from? Well, I know where they are. <laughs> but where did it come from? Did it just come out of nowhere? It just be? It just was? If there was nothing to say, be and was? Nothing to say, be an oxygen, be hydrogen? And what decided, what made them decide to get together? And not just an oxygen and a hydrogen, but two hydrogens. Why not three hydrogens? Why not two oxygens? Why not two hydrogens and two oxygens? But this unique combination decided to get together and make the amazing thing water. And water is able to be a gas and a solid and a liquid. Pretty amazing thing, this combination of this H, these two H's and an O. That sustain life. And sodium and chloride. Where did the sodium come from? Where did the chloride come from? It just poofed. It just came out of nowhere. Well, it's easier to believe that just a single god was there out of nowhere than to believe that chlorine was out of nowhere and sodium was out of nowhere and oxygen was out of nowhere and hydrogen was out of nowhere and graphite was out of nowhere and on and on and on was out of nowhere. All those things came out. We just believe one thing was out of nowhere. <laughs> they believe lots of things, millions of things were out of nowhere and all just decided to come together. Now sodium, if you eat that on its own, you'll die. It's poison and chloride, chloride the same thing. But these two poisons come together and they make salt. And what brought them together? And why'd they get together? Was there a matchmaker somewhere that brought them together? And they make salt, which again sustains life. We have salt in us. If you don't need any salt, you've got salt in you. We wouldn't live without it. Big portion of the earth is salt and water together, too. They decided to get together. So these two hydrogens and this oxygen decide to get together with the chlorine and, and, and sodium and make our salty seas where teams and teaming of life lives and are sustained by it and couldn't live without it. And in some places we have just water without the salt. And there's life forms that like living in there. Isn't that unique? Some don't, some like it, some don't. They all came together to sustain life. Pretty amazing combinations coming together over and over and over again. Pretty miraculous or pretty impossible. And the whole entire water cycle is a pretty amazing thing. I'm not just talking about water in a bucket, a sealed bucket won't do anything. But water that circulates, not just dormant there in a distilling pond, and just, but it moves, constantly moving because of the sun and the heat that causes it to evaporate. That's a pretty amazing thing right there. Interaction between the two taking place. That causes it to go up into the sky. That makes it from being heavier than the sky to lighter than the sky. It makes it go up into the sky and then condense together, come together to make rain. It's a pretty amazing thing. So it purifies it and then brings it down and brings it down on this earth and is absorbed by the earth, which is a pretty amazing thing. If the earth was like of glass and wasn't porous, everything would just run off. But the earth is designed and made soil and rocks to absorb the, and filter it some more and cause things to be able to grow and then spit it out into rivers and streams down into the ocean absorbed by plants that breathe it out and over and over and over again, an amazing cycle of events taking place. Complex, worldwide. Everything in just the right order and just the right amounts our sky with all its different gases up there, just the right amounts. It was off just by a, just a little bit, off just by a hair. If you lit a match, you'd blow up the whole earth. A little bit too much oxygen, a little bit too much little oxygen, things would be totally different. 
everything just right. Pretty amazing. And all these symbiotic relationships that life would be impossible without. For example, the exchange between, it was interesting when I typed in symbiotic relationships to look for pictures, it gave me some of these, but not some of the most important ones, like the oxygen and carbon dioxide. That's such an important one. This exchange between the two. If plants came around first, and according to the Bible, the plants were created on the third day, and the mammals on the sixth day, well, some people try and mix the two. They try and get the Bible and science to mix together. Science rightly understood matches right up with the Bible. But try and mix it in with evolutionary science. And they'll say, well, maybe you didn't meet a day, a 24-hour day. Maybe it was a long day. Maybe it was a 1,000-year day. Well, plants can't live 3,000 years until mammals come along. Or a million years until mammals come along because plants breathe in that filthy stuff that's destroying the planet, carbon dioxide. <laughs> if all there were were plants for millions of years, as the evolutionary teaching goes, they would suck up all the carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen until there is no more carbon dioxide and they would die. Waiting for something to come along, for something to miraculously evolve out of a plant or out of the ooze that loves oxygen, that breathes in the oxygen and spits out carbon dioxide. They had to both be there together in order for both to survive. You can't have mammals without plants and you can't have plants without mammals for very long. It's an amazing symbiotic relationship. So the whole thing breaks down, the whole evolution breaks down just with that simple thing. Which came first, mammals or plants? If they say plants, well for how long were there plants before there were mammals? Oh, millions of years, billions of years? Can't be. Can't be. Not possible. And then the pollinization. 80% of the plants today need pollinization. So which came first, the bees? and the bats, and the flies, and the mosquitoes that pollinate. Plants wouldn't be able to pollinate, they, probably wouldn't be, they wouldn't be able to reproduce without pollinization, without the pollinators. So they had to be there together. The 20%, if there were 20% of the plants that don't need it, and they're doing fine on their own, without needing a pollinator, and why would they start creating another 80% that need pollinization? They say, we don't need that. Let's not produce that. Why would they create one? Why would one give birth to, a tree give birth to one that would need pollinization when they're doing fine without it? That wouldn't be survival of the fittest, to be dependent on some bee coming along that hasn't even been evolved yet. It would not be the best for natural selection, so they need to be there. But again, they're missing the biggest one. Oh, they mentioned the, you know, the, cl the clownfish and the sea anemone and various different ones. And they were all over. There's symbiotic relations again everywhere. It was again, just a, the, the vocal cord in the, in the ear. But tons of time. What, was the, what would you think is the most important symbiotic relationship? That without it, there'd be virtually no life. It must be. Two organisms that have to come together, share mutually, symbi uh, symbi uh, symbiotically. What? What? Adam and Eve, you got it. That's right. Male and female. <laughs> right? You got to have both. You got to have a male and female in most cases. In a lot of plants, you got to have a male and female. Mammals need a male and female. Bugs need males. There's a few that don't, you know, the strange worms and things like that. But for the most part, they need males and females. Again, even a lot of plants need a male and female. Now, it's absolutely amazing by chance that something produces something that's modified, a little modified different, mutates a little bit different than its original. 
but it would have to be more than just one mutation. It would have to be two mutations. One would have to be male, one would have to be female. Right? You know, if your Android phone washed up on the beach, right? And then after a while it decided to produce an iPhone, that iPhone would be absolutely useless unless some other Android phone spit out an iPhone that can read and communicate with the iPhone, right? Has to be connecting together. I guess that's not so good, right? Phones do talk to each other, but it used to be when Apple computers didn't talk with, whatever. But in, in biological, it has to be a male and a female. And despite some thinking today, men do not give birth to babies. <laughs> they don't. So you need a male and a female in order to survive and propagate and have natural selection for more and a survival of the species. And not only do you have to have a male and female miraculously come out, you can't have one just mutate out of you know, again, whatever it was, a cat mutating to a dog, or whatever it was, wherever this little change was, whatever made the next step, a cat in Australia can't give birth to a male, and a cat in Alaska give birth to a female dog, they can't get together. Right? So they have to be close enough proximity, and it has to be in a close enough time period. The amazing, again, absolutely amazing for a jump to take place from one species to another to take place, you know, from a daffodil to a, to a spider, you know, wherever this jump took place, that out of this one life everything comes, have to be a male and female. And they'd have to be again at the same time. It can't be a hundred years before. And they'd have to like each other. So you'd have to have the amazing impossibility over and over and over again that something mutates into something different and not only does something different but at the same time or a different one around the same time and around the same area also mutates to almost exactly the same thing that cat to a dog and that cat to a dog but not just a cat to a dog that's different than the cat so different enough that it's not the same species, but one would be male and one would be female. Now, if you haven't noticed, there's a big difference between men and women. It takes a lot of differences in the body to be a male and to be a female. That's not a simple mutation of just one little change. Right, so it's not just an arm. This thing didn't have an arm, and now this thing has an arm. It also have to have an arm to make it different, and it would have to also have one that had all the male parts, and one have all the female parts. And for those to work together, which came first? The semen or the egg? <laughs> and what caused them to be able to work together to produce the person, or whatever the next thing it would be? It's absolutely amazing. That's absolutely amazing. The two things that don't even know each other, that, ap that mistakenly mutated different, and that would have to happen over and over and over again for every link in every species all along the way. God is birth, right? Every insect would have to create a male and female. Every mammal would have to create a male and a female over and over and over again. So two miracles, two absolutely impossible miracles of it becoming something different over and over again. The numbers are astronomical of impossibilities. Now the evolution, they say, they say that we didn't come from the apes. So you put the picture out where we came from the apes. But if you say, well, evolution says we came from the apes, they'll say, no, we don't say we came from the apes. Then why do you have the picture there? <laughs> why is it in all the books, right? Why do they have this, this process? And the picture is not even accurate because there's a lot of missing species there. There's a lot of missing links that just aren't there. I say, oh, we found Lucy. Well, Lucy is nothing but a, an ape. <laughs> 
And they only have a very few parts, maybe less than probably 5% of the whole entire skeleton that they found. There's little fragments that they put together. But so-called Lucy has a human knee. But the knee wasn't found where the rest of the fragments were. It was found somewhere else. It's just put together there. It's just an ape. Still not a link to anything. So there's no missing links again. So like, what again came, if it did this kind of a pattern, you look at the skeletons, there's so much difference. It's not just one little difference. And we just need one little change. The big difference is the skulls are different, the rib cages are different, the arm lengths are different, the leg lengths are different, a lot of differences. And that's just the skeleton. The brains are different. Chimpanzee, its frontal lobe is only 17%. The human, it's 33%. That's a pretty big jump for the skull being different, for a chimpanzee to mutate and then have a 30, a 33% of it to be frontal lobe. It's a big jump. And again, one would have to be male and one would have to be female with all those parts as well. Pretty amazing. A lot of faith to believe in evolution. So they say, but that's not real. We don't really believe you came from apes. So what they really believe is this. And that's where this picture's like this. They see everything there together, and the fossil record has everything together. The non-different layers are all together. And that's what they see. And what they have pictured there, that's all that's ever been. That's all we ever see. In any of the fossils, this is what it is. These various different ape forms. And the human. And they're all together. The bones are mixed together at the same time period, different, in the same places. They're together. And that's why they have them all together at the top line. And then I don't know if you can see it from there. But then it's got this line of six million years. So they were the same for six million years. <laughs> Nothing really basically below that. And then you see they tree it all together and bring it down here. But you don't see any picture here. You don't see any picture here. You don't see any picture here. You don't see a picture there. You don't see a picture there. Why not? Because they haven't found anything <laughs> that's there. <laughs> they don't have the links that that was this before it became that and that, and this before it became that and that, and again, before that became that and that, it had to have a male that and a female that, and a male that and a female that. And they don't have it, so it's not in the picture, because it doesn't exist. And so they bring it all the way down here to an ancestral, aboriginal, or aboriginal insectivore, insectivore, whatever that is. You see the picture of it? There's no picture of it, because it doesn't exist. They just make it up. No logic to it. They don't need a lot of logic. Just a lot of denial. That there is a God who created all things, who knows all things, and whom we are subject to and accountable to. And that's the bottom line. They don't want to be accountable. They'd rather say we came out of primordial soup and mud and an amoeba or some kind of form of some kind of ape in the ape family or somewhere down the line. And then they go down to 65 million years ago. I don't care how many, how years you have, you take all those parts of that cell phone and you put it in a box and you bang it and bang it and bang it and bang it, it's never going to make a cell phone. You can leave it there, it's never going to make a cell phone. It's never going to mutate to a different type of phone. It's never going to become a computer. No. Right? I have a friend, uh, Robert uh, Pender, he likes to say, gets mad at his computer, he says, your mother was a can opener. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, not gonna, the can opener is not going to evolve one day and become a computer or a cell phone, right? And again, Darwin agrees from the Jeff dumbed-down version. Why, if species have descended from other species by very small steps, do we not everywhere see innumerable transitional forms? That's a good question. If everything came from other things, and everything came from one thing in the beginning, then there should be, in the fossil record, tons everywhere, everywhere, innumerable transitional forms. And they don't find them. Again, a Lucy here, or this or that there. But not just for humans, you'd have to find it for every single species. Every single plant. Right? How did a daisy become a 
redwood? You know, where did that, you know, which one came first and where are the steps? The fossil record doesn't have it. And that bothered him. We should see it. And he knew it. Now he was hoping that eventually they dig down far enough or in a place and find it. And we're getting fairly close to 200 years since he wrote it. And we haven't found it yet. And I don't think we're going to. I know we're not going to. Because it doesn't exist. If numerous species belonging to the same genera and families have really started into life all at once, the fact would be fatal to the theory to descent with slow modifications through natural selection. The fact that we're all there together and in the fossil record we're all in there together. They used to think the, 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 uh, uh, the elephants with the woolly, the woolly mammoths. That was whatever, millions or millions of years ago, and millions and millions of years before humans. The humans were here and they were there until they found woolly mammoths with arrowheads in them <laughs> and drawings by humans <laughs> of woolly mammoths. And they go, oh, well, maybe they're not millions and millions and millions of years apart. They're all together. This would be fatal to the theory as they remain in denial of the facts. To the question why we do not find records of these vast primordial periods, I can give no satisfactory answer. The case at present must remain inexplicable and may be truly urged as a valid argument against the views here entertained. The fact that there's not these steps and that these steps would be so impossible to take place, male, female, male, female, male, female, over and over and over and over again, is fatal. A valid argument against the views. They don't find it. It's not there. And they'll never find it in that, those masses. It's one of the things he thought. He looked at uh, the four limbs of a human and four animals showing or six total, uh, construction similar by, was offered by Darwin as evidence that evolution has occurred. So you see these various different forelimbs and these different animals, right? So the top is a box turtle, and they've got these six different parts to them, and all of these animals have those six parts in their forelimbs. Big deal, right? I mean, as you look at the, the box turtle, the box turtle actually looks pretty similar, more similar to, the, to a human, than any of the others. Does that mean we came out of box turtles? The dolphin, while it has those six parts, doesn't look anything like the others. The humerus doesn't look any, it's short and the others are longer. So just because they're all there doesn't mean anything. These six items have a lot of similarities as well. They all have four wheels, they all have windows, they all have metal. Right? They all have an engine, they all have a steering wheel. Does that mean they all came from at each other? Does that mean the Model T gave birth to a fire engine? They evolved, or did a planner say, hey, that works pretty good, I think I'm going to use that plan over and over again. Four wheels seems to keep it pretty balanced, I'm going to use that again in my next model. Right? Some designer, some intelligent designer say, that worked pretty good, and I'm going to use that. that that's what the, the four limbs show to me. A God who created these things says, that works pretty good. I'm going to use that in a bunch of different creatures. A little different. I'm going to use it over and over again. That's okay for God to do that, right? I'm looking at the bird wing, which came first? The muscles and the bones to make a wing? Or the feathers? No sense to have one without the other. Which evolved first? Which came first? Over and over and over again. Now, if you put a Model T in a garage and left it there for millions and millions of years, and you open up that garage, is it going to be a Ferrari? No. <laughs> it won't even work, right? It, de it devolves, and that's true. Everything is devolving, not evolving. This is an amazing thing. Uh, fossil records and modern things, the amazing symmetry the amazing mirror effect that we see over and over again. So many things. And again, these things would have to, you, know, you look at these guys. 
two forelimbs, two, two back limbs, right? Which came first? The right one. They say, oh, that was pretty good. I like I pulling myself. If I had two, I could do better. If I had four, I'd really do good, right? It would evolve that way, one at a time, boom, boom, boom. And exactly the, look at this guy with all those legs, right? Exactly the same, on the exactly even, right? What would they be the chances of two popping out, mutating? Something that never had arms to pop out two arms. That's pretty amazing. And equally distant apart from each other. It'd be horrible to have an arm out here, or, you know? Be equal. Symmetrical. Look at this guy with four wings. Dragonfly. What good would one wing do? If he popped out one wing, that'd be useless, right? How do you pop out four? They'd be connected together, working together. Goldfish, symmetrical, everything is symmetrical. Hey, look at this. We're, we're, that's pretty amazing. Not only one eye, it's amazing and actually, you know, like, like, like Chuck said, it'd be pretty amazing just for one eye to form. How about two eyes? That's pretty impossible. One eye it baffled him. Two eyes that work together? And that the brain is able to communicate and, and, and process the two? And to make it into one image that we don't see two images of everything? Absolutely amazing. And they're in the right spot, right? You put them just right spot. It'd be horrible if your eyes were down here. You wouldn't be able to see out your shirt, right? Everybody would be walking around with their belly button shown, right? It'd be horrible, right? So they're right up there where you can see. The ears right on opposite sides of each other. Not one there, one there. That's perfect, right? You know, not an ear here and an ear there, right? Right there. Perfect with the nose so you can hang your glasses on. I mean, it's a perfect design, you know? <laughs> Gotta have thought it all out. Totally symmetrical. Right down the middle, just about everything. And even things that aren't exactly symmetrical, like some leaves and stuff, there's still a pattern. Trees, there's still a pattern. A plan in place for all of that to work and to work together. Of all the different creatures, lots of all the different creatures, all these different creatures, and having this symmetry on both sides. Like the hip. Pretty amazing thing. Which, which bone decided to come out first? Again, it's a whole system. It doesn't work without all of it. Hey, why would something that didn't have a hip, that didn't have legs, form a femur? Hey, form, and then you got not only all the bone, but it have to be then working together. All together. Doesn't work without every part. And all the muscles connected. And all the limbs and the tissues, everything that's needed, the cartilage, everything that would be needed to make it work. It would all have to be there at one time or it's useless or wouldn't function. One leg is longer than the other, a leg is in a different spot, it won't function, it won't work. And how about if you're this guy? <laughs> and your legs are not all together? <laughs> 750 of them or whatever? Millipede? Boy, he'd have a hard time walking if they weren't all together. What if they were all on one side? He'd be going around circles all day long. <laughs> It'd be an absolute impossible, amazing improbability for just one to spring out. But one on each side, two in each section, over and over and over again for all its sections. And where is the thing that was before it? Where is the thing that had 749 legs? Or where's the fossil record of that? Where's the one that had 748 and 747 and 746. Right? Where are all those incremental steps building up to what we have today? They don't exist. Even a centipede couldn't decide, well, I have you know, a one, a one pair on each one of my segments. I'm going to have two pairs on all my segments, and I'm going to become a millipede. That's a pretty big jump, let alone anything else. And if it's the selection, It'd be great to have this many legs. You know, fashion might be able to run. You have all these legs. Right? If we're the top of the chain, if we're the best, then how come we don't have eyes like eagles? Right? Why don't we have the best hearing? Why don't we have the best of everything altogether? Why don't we have the wings? Why don't we have the ability to use wings and not use wings if we want? Why don't we have the ability to swim in salt water, live in salt water and not salt water if we want? And to stay underwater for long periods of time if we want? If we're the top, the top should have everything that everyone else had. 
if we're evolving to different stages. But if God just created all different things at different, all at the same time, as the Bible describes, then he is creative and likes diversity. So these are some of the problems that we see with evolution, just that we looked at tonight. The existence of matter out of nothing, the existence of force out of nothing to create the bang, the problems with the carbon dating, the irreducible complexity, that was the mousetrap. You get to a point where it, it, it's so small, it's so simple that you, can't, you have to have every part. And everything has that. The massive complexity that we see in everything, even a simple cell, has massive, massive complexity in everything. There no direct links between species, and that we'd have to have so many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them for every plant, every bug, every mammal, everything. The survival dependency of symbiotic relationships that couldn't exist without each other. Again, even just the air cycle and the water cycle. And the pollinators. And the which came first question, which you can ask over and over and over and over again for everything. Because everything has these symbiotic relationships and need to have something. You can't have one without the other. The impossible probability over and over and over again of mutations taking place over and over and over again, creating things different, especially having to create a male and a female different over and over and over again. The massive body symmetry that we see is an obvious sign of design. And the water cycle and all the other cycles show that all these questions would have to be asked and take leaps of faith to ignore. Evolution is not logical. It's just total denial. Not scientific facts. It's a bunch of theories thrown out there, all with the one purpose of denying, in the beginning, God. And so our choice is tremendous amount of faith in a lot of inanswerable questions or simple faith in what the Bible says that in the beginning God so you might ask well then where is God where is the evidence of God and everything we just said the fact that there is matter <laughs> if there was a cell phone there had to be someone that had the cell phone the fact that there is matter means there's something that had to be able to create that matter that there was force that there is force there had to be something to create that force the fact that there that, uh, that rocks leach out, that's a good thing that rocks are able to take in and leach out. That the complexity that is in everything and the massive amounts of complexity that are in so many different things and are in everything is an evidence of the fingerprint of God, of a creator, of a divine creator, of a divine design, of an intelligent design. All these links between bio, uh, uh, symbiotic relationships and all the diversity and everything just being, as it said, it was, and God said, and it was, is evidence. And that we all have to work together and interact with others, whether we're interacting with bees or interacting with trees or interacting with water, everything we're having to interact with to have life. That's, God wants unity. God wants us to be together as humans, and he wants us to be together with him. And he wants us to be together with his creation. And the fact that everything is created dependent on other things is a sign of his creatorship. If it was just survival, then they wouldn't need anything else. And the which came first, God came first. And the things were all there together at the same time, the ear and the vocal cord is a sign, a symbol that there is a God. God is seen in all of these things. Just look in a mirror. God has created the, the uh, body symmetry and, and again the amazing things that work together and the impossibilities, the miracles over and over and over again that God is mirac miraculous. 
that is able to create these things. He is able to create all these various different trees for us to enjoy, some that produce fruit, some that produce shade, some that produce just for oxygen, some for beauty, all these different colors, the massive amount of colors and the ability to see colors, all testifies that there is a God. And these cycles that work in nature are all absolutely amazing and testify to a creator, God. So the evidence of God is there and is everywhere, and it also is in the fact that his prophecies came true and it is in the fact that God, what God said he's able to do in our lives, change our hearts, forgive us for our sins through the power and blood of his son to transform our hearts and minds to give us power and victory over sin. It's all there. Telling us what is good for us and what is not good for us testifies over and over again to a knowledgeable God who wrote the scriptures. Now these other questions we'll, we'll cover in these next few weeks as we go through the Bible. They're all answered in the Bible and much, much more. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we don't believe that, nothing else matters. And it's absolutely amazing that there are some who profess to teach the Bible who don't believe that, who believe evolution, and you'd have to rip out whole passages of the Bible to deny this part. Not only would Moses be wrong, or Moses kind of make it up, but then other people, other writers of the Bible would have been wrong as well, because they referred to this over and over again. And God writing the Ten Commandments with his own finger on stone would have been wrong, or continuing to make up a lie for dumb humanity if this is not accurate. So our choice is to believe this. This is again the foundation. This is where it starts. To believe that, or to deny the authority and power of God to create the heavens and earth with its vast complexity, its vast diversity, its vast unity and interconnected and beauty, just as he said. And then the rest makes sense as we go on from there. So this is the beginning. This is the start. As we study through the Torah, we didn't even get through verse 1, because we're going to cover more in verse 1 next week. (laughs) There's so much more just here in verse 1. We even get to the Hebrew part. We'll get into that next week. So much more beauty there, step by step, as God takes us through the Torah together. And so as we make these decisions, maybe you've been indoctrinated with evolutionary theory pumped into you at every museum and at every national park and, and at school and over and over and over and over again. It takes more than just a decision. It takes more than just one hearing of one message to make that choice. It takes the power of God. And so if you've been taught that over and over again, you want your mind cleansed of that, and you want to be able to absorb the simple word of God. And a moment when we pray, ask God to remove all that filthy thinking, that ludicrous thinking, that tremendous leap of faith into evolution, and for God to give you faith in him, and in his word, and in his glory, and his goodness, and his love for us, that he created all of these things for us. All those differences, and all those things, and all those colors are for us to enjoy, and for our benefit, and for life, for survival, for everlasting life. That he loves us so much. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth for you and me to enjoy that we can know him, we could see him, that we could enjoy him. And so if you want to do that in a moment when we pray, ask him to fill your mind with him. Secondly, if you've been in denial of him and don't want to be accountable to him, and really that's the root of why the evolution theory came about, to not have to be accountable to God, and you want to surrender that and be willing to be accountable to this loving God who knows what's best. He's been there long before us. He knows what's best for us. He only wants what's best for us. And if you're willing to surrender to him and submit to him and be guided and directed by him, in a moment when we pray, you can let him know that. God, I surrender. I, stop. I want to stop resisting you. And I want to just follow you. And follow your paths. Follow you to heaven. Third, if there's some other sin in your life, maybe God's revealed something in your heart and mind, some opposition to him he's been convicting you of. That's the love of God too. That's the power of God. Show us right from wrong. Reveal to our hearts and minds. Just surrender it to him. 
confess it before him, accept his sacrifice in your behalf, accept his forgiveness, and accept his power to have victory and to move forward in him. If any of those areas apply to you, or maybe something else God has been speaking to your heart, maybe you've just been amazed at the glory of God. As we've looked at these different creatures, and again, the amazing uh, symmetry and the amazing relationships and the amazing diversity, and that has just awed you as you think about God, that he created all of that. It's so amazing. And you want to just praise him and thank him. Thank him for his glory, thankful for his forethought, thankful for his magnitude of his glory and his grace and his goodness, his power. He created all of this and much, much more than just this tiny little planet. You want to just praise him and thank him. Then in a moment when we pray, give him honor and glory for creating you. And as diverse as you are and as special as you are to him. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, over all things, over much more than just this earth. And there's so much more out there than just here. And there's so much here. And we're thankful, Lord, that you're over it all, you see it all, that you keep it all in check. You bring it all together. Thank you, Lord, for your great power to create. Thank you, your willingness to create, that you created this earth and that you created us for yourself to be our friend, to be our God, to be our parent, to love us, to help us, to interact with us. Thank you for giving us all the various aspects of creation. Thank you for giving us the ability to interact with all of these different parts of creation and with each other, and the ability to interact with you through prayer, through reading of your word. Bring us into harmony with you. Forgive us and cleanse us of all resistance to you, resistance to your word, rejection of you, resistance to accountability. Forgive us and remove it all out of us and fill us with your mind, fill us with your heart, fill us with your thoughts and make us one with you in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.